Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and we are back with the whole spiel. We got a lot today. We got a lot. <laughs> we definitely do. It is a listener episode request, is what I meant to say. And it's going to be all about the movie. No miscellaneous facts and there's, fun today. There's too much. There's too much about this movie. So... And it will be a two-parter, so we'll put out this one today, and the next one will come out next Friday the 14th. Correct. Let's get right into it. Yeah. So this listener quest, listener request, if you say your whole words and not just cut off random endings, is... Welcome to a Utah accent. <laughs> uh... It's going to be 13 Ghosts, the 2001 version. Yes, because uh, apparently there's two versions that I didn't know about. Um, and that's coming from a person who really enjoys horror movies. So, you know, I feel like a failure. <laughs> I had never seen this movie before. Uh, so when I looked it up to see where I could watch it, the original kept coming up. And I was like, what is this 1961 so I'm glad I found it, I guess. But yeah, it was a it was it was good. But that will be the focus of our second episode or part B or two or whatever you want to call it. This whole ass episode is going to be about the 2001 version. There's uh there, there's a lot that goes into this movie, but it this was the 13 Ghosts in 2001 that was directed by Steve Beck. Um who's known for doing Ghost Ship, which is also a wonderful movie and has one of the best opening scenes in the world that I think we should watch. Um, but the original was directed by William Castle, who did House on Haunted Hill. Throwback to episode five? Five, I think. Five. Uh, but if you don't remember, he, or if you didn't listen, he's the director that came out with, like, really extreme promotional things for his movies so for house on Hunt hill he had the ghost or not the ghost the skeleton that would come flying over the crowd yeah all the gags and stuff uh, so he does a really good one for 13 ghosts as well but we'll talk about that later uh but this series um not it's not a series but the original and the remake for this one Gave me really big House on Haunted Hill vibes because they are very similar in the fact of how they were remade and things like that. Um, which is funny because they were both, or which makes sense, because they were both created by the uh, producing company called Dark Castle Entertainment. Which was which is wonderful. <laughs> it was created with the idea of recreating William Castle's movies um, hence the name Castle in it uh, which makes sense yeah it started in 1999 and they I think their first one was actually like House on Haunted Hill um, That's it came out in 99 so it would make sense this is really miscellaneous but because they decided to like build their whole thing around William Castle, who we talked about as being a director, but I don't think we really mentioned like part of what made William Castle so great. Um, but I did find that he was orphaned at age 11 
and he dropped out of high school at 15 to work in the theater, which I don't know if that was really all that rare to like not finish school back then. He's the phantom of the opera. <laughs> but he uh so like he started working really young and I think what made him desirable to Columbia Pictures, I think was the first people who really hired him for real stuff was his ability to like promote shows for theaters and things like that. But he would have the time to figure those kinds of contraptions out and probably play around with them so it would make sense. Uh right. But Dark Castle Entertainment they really wanted to dedicate their first works to William Castle and remaking his movies, like we said. Uh, Steve Beck, who Katie said was the director for this particular remake, 13 Ghosts, he really loved the darkness and gore that William Castle was brave enough to do at that time, like the 60s. And he was really fascinated with William Castle's ability to use a singular set as like the focal point for the movies, uh, which is true for House on Haunted Hill, the 1960 version of 13 Ghosts. It's mostly set, like all the action happens in one set location. And they tried to bring that over into this remake of 13 Ghosts, which you see with like the giant glass mansion, which is a far more focal point than the original movie haunted house was but oh yeah no this house was like built for this whole thing so it's like its own entity in this movie (laughs) yep yeah it's its own monster house (laughs) but dark castle entertainment is also who gave us ghost ship which katie mentioned steve beck was also a director for opening scene ever and (laughs) that is also based off a I don't know if there's an original movie, but it is based off of a short story. Um, I don't know how related they are by any means. I just know there's a haunted short story called Ghost Ship. Um, And that, Mm -hmm. too, takes place in, like, a singular set. So that's all of that carries over. Uh, Other movies, Dark Castle Entertainment is big for. Gothica, House of Wax, which I personally love. I don't know if that's, like... I was going to say, I love the remake of House of Wax. I think it's great. It's so funny. Yeah, it is. Like, I remember very specific parts of that movie. I will always remember Paris Hilton's death. That's, I remember that. Um, There's also the vivid image of a character getting his Achilles cut. Oh, yeah, that one's rough. That one's fucking rough. That, like, makes you cringe. For this particular movie, they had a budget of $42 million, which blows Jesus my mind. But Christ. When you watch the movie, you see where all of it went. <laughs> um, I wrote down, as because I'm a sarcastic asshole, I wrote down that <laughs> $40 million of that probably went just into the set and the effects that they used. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's... Well, okay. So the effects of, like... The actual makeup effects and stuff are amazing. Um, I watched I watched everything behind the scenes of it, basically, that's on the DVD. So I got a lot of insider stuff. And apparently, it took a long time to do makeups. <laughs> the 2020 special edition version, so last year they came out with a new version. It has like some special audio commentary by director Steve Beck. Which that's cool. would be really interesting to watch, I think. But 
There's also a lot of behind the scenes clips already out for this movie, so I would be interested to see if he actually says anything new or if it's kind of just a, a repeat of what we've yeah, all heard. A continuous rehash. But this movie is classified as a fantasy horror or a supernatural horror. Yep. And <laughs> there's a kitty. The writer uh Writing credits went to Rob White, who wrote the original story, the 1960 version, with William Castle. He also worked with William Castle and wrote The House on Haunted Hill, if you remember that. And the producer is William Castle's daughter, uh, Terry Castle, who we kind of briefly mentioned also assisted with the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Do you think she was the one that started Dark Castle Entertainment? No, she's not associated with the starting oh, of it, okay. I don't think. Yeah, oh, I think well. they just brought her on because they wanted to just, again, like really focus on William Castle and his legacy. So That's fair. That's fair. Um, so the cast uh, consists of the kind of the main character you see he's he's the father of the kids he, he is also the nephew of the uncle but his name is arthur and it's tony shalhoub uh best known for his tv show monk i feel like but uh, i know him best from galaxy quest when you and i would watch that camping every single time we went camping yeah he's the one that falls in love with the alien and they're like oh god that's not right yeah <laughs> it's, it's so good um and I will cherish those memories of always watching that movie. I was going to say he's also in TMNT and so many others. Um, he's got, he has 20 award, sorry. He has 20 awards and countless nominations. Like he has too many that we, I, I, we couldn't write them all down to be honest, but he's well known. Everybody knows him. I feel like his daughter in the movie is named Kathy. And she was played by Shannon Elizabeth, who really I only recognize from the first scary movie. She plays the character Buffy, um, who yep. gets she's the prom <laughs> queen one, and she's she gets the, her head cut off and she's still screaming and breaks her leg and it comes and the bone pops out of her leg. <laughs> and she, uh, that one just kills me because she's like, "This is the part where I trip and break my leg." She goes, oh, "I'm bleeding." <laughs> exactly i that's, love that movie so that's much. the only thing i remember her from she unfortunate i know she's an american pie too so i guess we should mention that but for this movie i think she got nominated as like worst supporting actor or something to that effect which is really upsetting uh because i yeah that's unfortunate i don't think she did a bad job i her part isn't there wasn't a lot to do for that part to begin with yeah, I can see that. The activist and self-proclaimed, rec what is it called in the movie, a reclamation ghost? I don't know. Spirit reclamation. I don't remember. I don't know. But she also plays the red herring, Kalina Orezia. Uh, that is played by Embeth. I don't know if it's Davids or Davids. Dzz. Got uh, a Z at the end. <laughs> she, I did not recognize her in this until I read it but she okay before before you say it before you say where she where you where everybody will recognize her from in my head when I first saw her the only thing I could think of was Alyssa Milano 
And I was like, she's like her, her like double, her twin. Like, and I know that's not Alyssa Milano, but like, who the fuck is this? And I was so confused. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. And I'm sure if you put a side by side picture, they would not look anything alike. But just seeing her on her own. Well, now I'm curious. <laughs> she does look a lot like Alyssa Milano, but she plays Miss Honey in the movie Matilda. I did not put that together until I read it. <laughs> The next character we have is Dennis. He is the medium. I feel like he's probably the absolute main character. I'm pretty sure he's the first character you see in the movies. Um, I also have a biggest crush on this guy because it's it's Matthew Lillard. Um, most people, a lot of people will know him from Scream. He plays uh, one of the ghost faces, technically. Um, and he's also one of the main characters. He's also Shaggy in the live-action Scooby-Doo, which we watched countlessly. <laughs> he's actually voiced Shaggy basically since then for most of the TV series and stuff like that. That makes me really happy because um, he was perfect, honestly. <laughs> uh, he was also in Without a Paddle, which is a beautiful movie as well. But Matthew Lillard, I love that man. He's also, I've heard, one of the nicest guy in the world. Like, when you meet him, Andy's met him. I'm really jealous of this. Um, because so, I really love this guy. <laughs> I read a lot of his quotes and some of his uh, interviews, and I'm sure he's a really nice person, but he kind of, he's, uh, I, I don't want to like make it sound like I'm trash talking him because I'm not. I think he's probably wonderful, but the way that he talks in his interviews, sometimes it sounds like he is very much about the art of filmmaking and not so much just like being an actor like he thinks there's a difference between art and then just like putting out movies and well I have a quote for of his for this movie specifically but he kind of talks down on a lot of the opportunities he's had uh, uh just based off the types of movies they were like he's like oh I appreciated that opportunity but I don't think that was really art and they it was more about like for this one he was like it's more about the effects than it was the actual filming so I don't want to say he's like a snob but he he's he's just like it sounds like he's a snob <laughs> kind of like he's like I said he I think he's just really into the art version he wants right his films to mean something and have like a real story and a line and not just be making it to make it kind of a thing. Right. That makes sense. And get the money from it. I mean, that's fair. But I, I will stand by my quote of, I love this man. I'm so attracted to him. I think he's phenomenal. <laughs> he is really great. And I think we haven't seen him in a lot of stuff lately because he's been more behind the camera trying, like I said, to make different things like more like into like film festival type movies than just big money making movies which I think is really great that like there should be a distinction so yeah uh the next character and a lot of people really this is their favorite character of this movie is That's Maggie she's fucking hilarious she's one she's phenomenal <laughs> she is the babysitter or nanny that this Scott, yeah the nanny the uh, house that really uh, yeah doesn't belong in this family and her role in this movie is useless uh like where she fits into the family but I'll talk about that later but uh she's played by Rod Digga 
Um, and she also sings the song that plays through the credits that I can't. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's, she's a mus she's a musical artist, musician, whatever you want to say, but she's also in this movie, obviously, but yeah. But yeah. She's, I think she, really good. she adds humor to the, mu- to the movie mainly. She's the practical voice of this movie. Yeah. Where they're, they start like flipping through the book and talking about spells and stuff. She's just in the background, like making facial expressions. Like, what the fuck she's is like, happening? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, Why she's like, we should not be reading thing. any of this. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. Um, and then, then you get the uncle, who's also the ghost collector who owns this mansion, who is the uncle of Arthur, the father. Uh, his name is Cyrus, which I think was really funny because it's the name of the nephew who plays. Uh, well, who? It's the name of the nephew in the original. So, in the 1960 version of this, it the nephew's name is Cyrus, not Arthur, which I thought was interesting. Which but, is uh, that? Oh, I was gonna say it's exactly what they did with uh, House on Haunted Hill because they used mm-hmm. Vincent Price's name. Yeah. So Cyrus is played by F. Murray, F. Murray Abraham who is very well known and has over 150 acting credits. I'm trying to think of what he might be most well known for. Yeah, I scrolled through them and nothing really jumped out to me. But maybe something different for you. While she looks up that, uh, this movie had a couple of wins and a handful of nominations, uh, mostly for unfavorable categories. Uh, like we oh, talked man. about, Worst Supporting Actor, Worst Film was one of the nominations it got. Or, yeah, one of the nominations. Um, everything that it won was related to the makeup and effects that they used. And it won a Fangoria Chainsaw Award in 2002 for Best Makeup Creature Effects and was also nominated for Worst Film. So... Yay for the makeup, I guess. <laughs> well, the, okay. So I will say this: when I watched the behind the scenes of things with with like the makeup effects and everything, the princess makeup took four hours because there's slits all over her body. But the juggernaut is like a full suit, like it's a full latex suit, bodysuit, which is and great. It took them forever to but get in and out of. You have to have a balance between your effects and your actual storyline which is where they kind of fell short which is why they got those kinds of nominations but we'll get into that after we go through the synopsis of course yeah because obviously you need to know what you're uh what what we're talking about okay uh he's in scarface <laughs> that means nothing I feel like that's the me. biggest movie i can't yeah i haven't seen that one. i mean i've seen it it's just been a really long time This is my version of a brief cover for this film. Um, Our our brief is never brief. (laughs) I know. And we'll probably interrupt multiple times. I I will. I guarantee. I guarantee I'll interrupt. I'm sorry. Y'all just accept it by now. (laughs) So uh, it starts out with a ghost hunter who, as we explained, is Uncle Cyrus and a team of people, including the medium played by Matthew Lillard. And they are hunting the ghost of a serial killer in a junkyard. And immediately, Matthew Lillard is just like, fuck 
this and it makes me realize that being a medium is just awful because he's like oh 40 people are buried here but this guy was only associated with six in real life okay but like in in this they like they make his medium so intense that like if any human person touches him he gets like their whole life story so like it his his medium is like fucking hella magic high which is <laughs> like that tv show medium that's kind of how that goes too but for him it's like painful like he feels like it's like a psychic headache basically yeah um, it's not pleasurable so he's in it for the money essentially anyways <laughs> they're they're catching this ghost you get kind of an idea of all the fancy gadgets and gadgets they have like their ghostbuster gadgets and everything of course goes horribly wrong everybody dies um not everybody but a large amount of people die including the ghost hunter cyrus gets decapitated you think then you get a weird montage of arthur and his family where you get introduced into this major trauma where their house caught fire apparently by a log rolling into their christmas tree and lighting it aflame while 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 they were sleeping (laughs) because they fell asleep watching a movie and the wife dies in the hospital from the burns that she received in the fire and the husband is just broken of course they lose all their money they're poor but somehow they can afford this live-in nanny i don't know and they inherit this house from uncle cyrus who he didn't even know was like still alive (laughs) but they're just like you know what we need a place to live let's do it well and they know uncle cyrus is like a millionaire like he's rich he's wealthy as hell so they no they didn't know he was rich the storyline is that Uncle Cyrus, his side of the family had money, but that he had squandered it all. So they thought there was no money anymore. Oh. that's Well, then I've been wrong this entire time in my head. But okay. (laughs) That's what Arthur says. He's like, oh yeah, I knew of him, but like our family thought he just squandered it. And the little boy's like, what does squandered mean? Um, Oh yeah, and he's doing his little his little little podcast thing. Yeah, the (laughs) pre-podcast. I had a toy like that once. It was cool. So, of course, there are no questions asked. They just, like, move into this this house, which turns out to just be a giant mansion made of pure glass. And they show up at this house with the lawyer. Matthew Lillard is there as the medium, but he's pretending to be an electrician so that he can get into the house. And then you find out that he had, the uncle did have a stash of cash, which is why Matthew Lillard was there. He was trying to get the cash. The lawyer was trying to get it as well, but the lawyer dies immediately, which is in the best way, (laughs) which is how they set this movie like major storyline apart from the original. But we'll talk about that later as well. But that was the point of like him dying. So then they immediately find out that this house is haunted by these 13 ghosts which were supposed to be trapped but for some reason are on some sort of timing mechanism and they're getting released one by one and the house like locks them in while they're getting just fucked up by these ghosts (laughs) uh the reclamation specialist comes out of nowhere because apparently she was like hiding in the house i don't know and 
Yeah, yeah, that one always confused me. I was like, how the fuck did you get in? Yeah, and then she like <laughs> conveniently lays out this whole plot line that Cyrus was trying to catch all these ghosts to power this giant machine that was written into this book from like the 14th century from an astronomer who was possessed by a demon. And what this machine does is when the ghosts power it, it opens some demonic portal thing that allows Cyrus to just basically control time and just rule the world. And the only way to shut it down is for Arthur to commit suicide and be like the 13th ghost. Uh, so that like sets the plot for that part. And, like, how convenient that all of that is spelled out, right? That drives me nuts. But we'll talk about that later, too. Anyways, the medium, the family, and the reclamation activist lady try and figure out how they can get everyone together. Because the kids get separated, of course, in this maze of a house. And yeah, it's, it's confusing as hell. It's wild. It's, Yeah. Uh, and then her plan is to just blow everything up with this mass amount of dynamite and C4 she's carrying around with her. Kaboom! <laughs> um, but basically, Arthur finds out that Cyrus is not dead. He was actually manipulating this whole thing. He's dating the reclamation specialist uh, so that she can be behind the scenes and help work this whole thing the uncle dies the house explodes the ghosts just like wander off into the woods and the medium dies that's it and the family lives happily ever after that's how it ends <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really well, you make it sound so terrible god damn it <laughs> it's uh yeah it's complicated but like not really <laughs> So it's cool. I still enjoy it. But so Izzy and I have a, a differing opinions about the movie. Yes. If you can't tell. <laughs> Which maybe I wasn't I, the one to like give the plot, but <laughs> I think I think the reason I love this movie so much is I saw it when I was younger and I thought it was great and it had Matthew Lillard in it and I thought the effects were cool and the ghosts were really like I thought the ghosts were so fucking cool. And they really are. Like, the ghosts are so great, and they have full backstories, but, ow, I just hit my hand. <laughs> um, but they have full backstories, which I think is really great, because that's that's a huge part of a character. Um, but I think it's because I saw this movie when I was, I was so young that I just really loved it, and then, like, going back and looking at the, like, looking at this this way, you're very much right. There are, there are disconnecting things, and there are things that I've pointed out multiple different times every time I've watched this, but, like, it's still one of those terrible movies that you love to that you love to watch that you love to love still. And you're not alone. Like people love this movie, but I watched the 1960 version first, and then I watched this one. And to be honest, I like the plot for the 1960 version better. I freaking hate movies that are so conveniently plotted, like this one. Like I said, how convenient that they have this book called the arcanium that just spells everything out to the t and everything lines up like i hate that it's overly put together it shouldn't be life is not like that <laughs> and yeah. to me it was just too plotted 
And they put the only thing this movie has going for it, in my opinion, are the ghosts. Because they did. They put all their time and effort into the ghosts. They gave them elaborate backstories that you don't even see in the movie, except for through their costumes. And the only reason people know about all those elaborate stories is because of the extra stuff they did for the DVD, like you said. But Mm. that's like literally all this movie has going for it are the ghosts, in my opinion. And... Yes. It's an enjoyable movie to watch. Everyone should watch it. I like the 1960 version better. That's my moral of the story. (laughs) I need to see the 1960 version in full because when I tried to watch it, um, I couldn't find it anywhere. But YouTube has like little clips of it. So and they were like numbered. And so I was like, great. And then I realized I I had like the whole entire middle of the movie was missing. There is a full version on there. You just have to find it. Apparently I couldn't. I couldn't dig far enough for it. I'll send you the link. I'm not going to post the link because I don't want it to get removed. <laughs> but I'll send you the yeah, link. Yeah, no, that's fine. Please but, do. yeah. it To me, this is, like I said, a parallel to the haunted house, haunt, house on Haunted Hill, where mm-hmm. they took a very simple put-together plot line and then they tried to elevate it by adding all this supernatural mystical crap that is cool but sometimes it's too much and for this movie it was too much I love that it is very supernatural they have the wards the latin and stuff like that on the windows which is really cool they brought in ghostbustery type things but then they just (laughs) they just overdid it and I was like there was a line, and you crossed it, and it ruined it for That's me. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I understand it. I think everyone on the planet would agree that the best death in this movie is the lawyer. <laughs> oh, 100%. I, I don't think I've met one person that's seen this movie and said they had a different favorite death, because that death was just too, too fucking great. <laughs> And that is also why I'm slightly scared of sliding doors. Because if you remember when we were on that cruise way back in the day, I didn't like walking past the sliding doors because one of them almost crushed me. <laughs> that was not about it. <laughs> Except those have safes on, like safeties on them. The doors in this movie clearly Def- did not. Definitely did not. No. But no for chance. those who haven't seen the movie, it's very much like the Leprechaun, the last one they made. <laughs> The solar panel falls on top of him and splits him in half perfectly. This is the exact same thing, only the sliding doors cut him from the sides. And the, like, front slides off and you can see, like, his orbitals and his brain. It's so cool. Yeah. Unrealistic. If people don't, if people so cool. don't like gore and things like that, but then they get a little queasy with that kind of thing, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little rough. But, like, if you, like... Like the bodies museum that the that thing that happened the body exhibit I thought that was so cool, just like with the house on haunted hill one, uh, they did not hold back on the gore and the murder because like just like that one it starts out just with mass murder, um, yeah <laughs> same thing with this one, and you can see like when Cyrus gets fake killed, uh, you see the metal plate is supposed to have like decapitated him, uh, so that's. 
yeah they did a great job yeah like there's said, a bunch of blood everywhere and stuff the effects and stuff are awesome the one thing i didn't see is that part where you see his body is that cgi or is that uh like a a prop do you know i don't i don't know that one i don't know i would have to go back and watch like the full commentary on the like with the movie i want to say to probably understand that one but the only cgi thing i watched them do was how they made the machine through cgi i didn't Mm really hear them talk about the uh the body but it probably was but it was really cool it was done well Um, so so what's your favorite ghost then since there's technically 12 (laughs) um, i don't know they're all unique i don't think i had a favorite ghost so much as i did a favorite like scene with a ghost Um, okay which for me was the the one you talked about, the prin- princess, I think was her The daughter. angry princess. Yeah. The angry princess. Uh, when she's in the bathroom with the daughter and... Oh, oh, and she's in the bathtub. My gosh. Major plot line I dropped. <laughs> you can only see the ghosts if you're wearing special glasses. Oh, yeah. Biggest plot line because <laughs> that's the original too. Uh, you have to wear these special glasses in order to see any sort of the ghost. Yeah. I can't believe uh, I left that out. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> That's even in the original. That was bad. Our bad. Yeah, we got it. We caught up. Uh, but yeah, so you have to be wearing these glasses or you can't see them. So there's this whole scene where you get that idea. Um, the daughter is in this bathroom and she is like playing with her hair and washing her face. And the angry princess is in the bathroom as well. But the daughter can't see her. But the angry ghost the angry princess can see her and she's just like what the fuck are you doing um so you see them like interacting but they're like not interacting i don't know i loved that scene i loved yeah that that scene was really good i'll agree it would be like a pristinely clean awkwardly glass bathroom and then all of a sudden it would be covered in blood and well i also think that shot the way they did that shot to make you see the difference was very well done too yeah, it was because easy to track, they, but still mm-hmm. well done. Because instead of just, like, showing you somebody wearing the glasses and being like, hey, you see the ghost, the glasses, they there's a, there's a pair of glasses sitting on the counter, and they take the camera angle and go through the glasses, like, the glass lens. Like, you're looking through it through the camera, and that's when you see all of, like... The angry princess's problems you know and like what? all the blood over the walls and stuff. I did not catch that. That's a great catch. Oh, really? I didn't realize they did that. I was probably oh. writing something. Like I take notes while I watch the movie, so I probably missed that part. But I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, that no, it's that. really well done with how they do that. I think that part's really fucking cool. Yeah, that. So, so like I said, I don't really have a favorite ghost, um, but that's my favorite scene with a ghost. Fair. That's totally fair. Did you have a favorite ghost? Um, I've always liked the Jekyll because I thought it was really scary, personally. Like, and if you know the and if you know the backstory, which we'll get into with the Jekyll, he's kind of a terrifying person. Um, but I, all of these ghosts were so interesting. I thought, uh, I think my least favorite was probably the Hammer, just because I thought he they made him look really funny. 
Um, My least favorite is the uh, probably the grown baby man. <laughs> um, that was just oh a, the the giant child. That one was just weird. Honestly, I think it's only because of the vomit. Just like really grossed me out. Um, it's probably yeah, I just didn't like yeah. looking at him at all. But that's yeah. fair. That's totally fair. Yeah, I probably have to say that I think the Jekyll is the coolest just because of its look, not based just directly on its story. Granted, I think he's really creepy because I like I like the angry princess too. Um, she scares me. She scares the shit out of me because um, there's one slit that like on her body that goes directly over her nipple, and like that that just horrifies me. <laughs> Makes you cringe a little bit. And no, I, like every time like I see her, I'm like, oh my god, and like it scares. It scares me so bad because, like, I can't imagine that kind of pain. <laughs> is the jackal the first one you see really be, like, overtly violent because he attacks uh, the daughter? Yes. Physically, like, actual physically, I think so, yes, because I believe that's the first time you see anything, any of the ghosts touch one of the humans. Um Because Matthew Lillard in the room with the prince after. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's the first one you see that really, like, is violent to an actual human. But the one that, like, looks like they're going to attack a human but is still hidden is um the, the, the prince. Yeah, there's him. And then when they show the hammer, I think, because that's when Matthew Lillard's character is, like, showing maggie the glasses because he's like why do they just come at the glass like yeah, that? he's like i hate when they do that yeah yeah but so the jackal is definitely the like probably the most terrifying one <laughs> i think he's the scariest looking either him or the juggernaut but i i, I think that's just because i know the juggernaut is like massive as we've talked about the house itself is fully made out of glass which uh, made it really hard for filming fun little fact because you can see through everything and see like people eating on the other side <laughs> well not only um, not only that but they had reflections off all mm-hmm. the all the walls so they had to like frame by frame make sure you couldn't see reflections of the cameras or the crew and they, they and said the cast had, like if fucking off if you're like behind the scenes cast you had to wear like super dark clothes but there were still so many like people just around it was so hard so i can't imagine how long that would take um but as we said there's also there's writings on the there's like writings on the walls that will basically tell the ghosts like what to do it's almost like commands and rules that they follow um or like it keeps them like trapped in places or keeps like the humans safe and won't let them go somewhere in the original the the family gets told up front that the house is haunted and they're like hey just a just letting you know this house is like known to be haunted and they're like it's cool we're gonna move in anyway um <laughs> well they which, like you know, this family have they're basically financial issues house. so it's like take the house or be homeless but at least the they... opening of the original she's like on the phone with her husband and these movers are taking the like furniture out of the house <laughs> and she She's like, we didn't pay the bills. And he's like, well, how much do we have? And she's like, $2. And I was like, same. <laughs> I feel it. I fucking feel that. But 100%. Yeah. They let these people go into the house 
knowing full well that there were ghosts and didn't say shit. They were just going to let them sign and then leave and take all the money. But Yeah, that's all it was. Um, but the house is like its own character in this film. It's It's very unique and obviously like you've never seen a house like this nor what it is but um the producer joel silver explains that the house like again is its own character its own entity and he and another producer got their inspiration from the architecture of the new york science museum um i have not seen that building personally i haven't either but i we should ask Jaden. she just moved (laughs) not to that part of new york but no they talk about how like they really just did not want it to look like a traditional haunted house with right. cobwebs and creaky stairs like they really wanted it to be modern. modernized Is and new yeah. yeah so yeah it's it's like the complete opposite of the house in the from the original which was you know fully furnished and all this old kind of furniture that you would like expect from a haunted house and stuff like that but this one was completely new and modernized you know top to bottom i think the only like original thing you got was like a, a cl- uh, the cloth of bathtub that i want in my life so much i read somewhere i don't know if this is a theory or if it's background provided by cast and crew that that bathtub is supposed to be the same bathtub that the princess gets like kills herself in which we'll talk about um mm-hmm. and that Cyrus brought it into the house as a place for that ghost to like be drawn to. That would make sense because like you always hear about um, oh my gosh, what do they call it? Haunted artifacts or things that will keep a soul trapped that here for some reason. Exactly. Um, uh, so, which explains why that is of all the things she could have done when she gets released because she's the first ghost released. Yeah, she goes to that bathroom immediately and just like climbs into the bathtub and watches this girl wash her face and stuff so that yeah shows that a little bit which i thought was a really cool detail whether that's true or not i'm gonna go with it for me it's canon so <laughs> i like it <laughs> um but they they designed this house to be like its own living thing so it's kind of like hogwarts with like um the moving stairs like the moving staircases and stuff but the walls move in this one and like obviously they slide because they cut the lawyer in half (laughs) and because Um, it's glass it's not like you can turn a corner and be like hey i recognize that painting on the wall or like that wallpaper is different it literally all looks the same with the edged uh wards on it like i said it's very supernatural (laughs) that way but yeah so it was just really hard for them to film everything on that even though like the entire movie is based in that house just because it is all glass, and there are so many cast and crew on the set that it's really hard to make sure that they got everybody out of each scene and the reflections. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> it is unique. I didn't see the practicality of having a fully glass house. Uh, like, from the outside looking in, I get having the glass inside the house because you, if you're living with ghosts, you want to know if they're released and wandering around, I guess. But I'm... <laughs> I wasn't Ghost, are you here? Yeah, I wasn't sure what the point was of having the outside of the house be glass as well. 
Well, when they get locked in, it gets like an armor plating around it. But why not have that around them permanently? Because if you're going to live in that house, you don't want people wandering. Throwing rocks. Want- yeah. Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's isn't it like a special glass? It's a ecto... ecto- it's some, in which case it's really strong and heavy and... <laughs> It's like a fake thick. It's a made-up glass for the movie. It's like an ecto glass where you can't hear. It's soundproof and whatever. Yeah, it's paranormal but. glass, basically. <laughs> but the house has these really cool rooms. Uh, one of them is the floor is like layers of dials. And with each ghost that gets released, a new dial spins and they like weave out. And then in another room, you see this giant-ass machine that looks like a one of those sand flippers. It looks like an hourglass. Yeah. Thank you. I, I couldn't you. think of the word. I, I got that that floor that you're talking about this that has, like, the spinning mechanisms, that's the top of the hourglass. Oh. That's the top of the machine. The machine is underneath in the basement where, like, kind of, like, all the ghosts are and stuff. That, okay. And that's why when the lawyer goes to take the money, it triggers the mechanism which opens the first ghost, and then they're all on timers to open up. Okay, that you're putting it together for me. So this is a movie that I'm sorry, I just hit my microphone. <laughs> sorry if you heard that. <laughs> this is a movie that you would do well to watch multiple times because you would pick up more on those things. You're, yeah, you're gonna pick up new things. Like Andy didn't even realize that Cyrus was originally alive. Like, until we just watched this, and we've watched it multiple times. He likes this movie a lot. He just realized that Cyrus is not a real ghost. Like, I had to explain it to him. He's like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> well, that's on him so, because they make that very obvious. <laughs> but Well, yeah, I agree. But, like, but the little you're things... going to ca- catch little things every time you watch it again. Yeah, because the first time you watch it, you're just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with the ghosts. Um and you're just so into the ghost part of it, you don't pick up on those things. Like, I didn't realize right. that the dial, that was the top of the dial. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a main entrance. That's that's where, like, you, you like the door opened. That was the main entrance where they walked in. And so that big machine we're talking about, it's called the Basilius machine. And it is named after the astrologist that was possessed by a demon who wrote the book the arcanium which as we said conveniently spells out every little thing in this movie arcanum sorry there's no i arcanum arcanum i like to add letters speaking of me too dyslexia man (laughs) the side note the title of this uh to separate it from the original they titled it 13 but it's t-h-i-r with the number 13 and then e-n and I didn't even realize that it was doing that for a minute because our brains have this really innate ability to do what's called predictive coding. And so when it picks up what it's seen, like you could see the beginning of a word and it will fill in the rest of it. Uh, Google it. It's really cool. There's like examples with letters missing and your brain will just fill it in. Uh, so I didn't even realize that's what it was doing <laughs> until I like really looked at it. It threw me off. But yeah, fun thing. Anyways. I'm shook. I'm trying to look up a photo so I can I can see this because I Did you oh, not what know the that? fuck? No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Okay, it's so awesome. the cover of the DVD itself is a is like a face of a woman screaming, and then it has like all the ghosts imprinted. But in her mouth, it says thirteen ghosts, but it's kind of small. And now that I look at it, it's T H I R one three E N. Yeah, so your what brain <laughs> your brain was predictive coding. It saw the thir and the E N, and it filled in that T E for you. Oh, I'm looking at a photo of the lawyer split in half, and it almost looks like claymation. Interesting. Okay, so um, you mentioned the Arcanum. The Arcanum is a book um, that it contains spells for capturing and summoning ghosts and profiles of the 13 ghosts, um, which are the, the Black Zodiac. And it's got the blueprints for creating the mansion-like machine. It has everything you need all in this tiny little book. And so you make this machine, and you can gain control of the Oculus Infernum. Oculus. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we're doing a whole lot of predictive Infernal. coding this episode. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> um, but this will allow the user, uh, whoever it is, to be able to control it and use it and the power to see everything from past and future, heaven and earth. And it's like, you can see like the blessed and the damned because it was all made by a demon. So yeah, it's a whole thing. Which to me... I'm like, you know what? Demons are brilliant because no way <laughs> did a demon write this whole book spelling all this stuff out just so humans could control the world and universe clearly. And if Cyrus was smart at any extent, he would have read this and been like, this is a fucking it's a trap. Yes. You know, <laughs> the second that that gets released, it opens up some sort of hell mouth and the demons yeah, and then like, take control. Eat everything. The demons are going to take over everything. They're going to take over control of you. Like, yeah. it's a whole setup. These demons are smart, man. Humans are dumb. That was the moral well, of yeah. the story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, like we said, very super, like it, supernatural combined with this world. They could be in the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And. All of a sudden, the Winchester show up, and they're like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Vasilius machine, the last note that I have on that is that uh, apparently there's, like, an earlier draft of the script floating out there that when the church read the Arcanum, they burned Basilius at the stake for heresy. So I don't know if the demon stuck around for that to happen, and that's how he got kicked out. Or if he had Basilius, he, like, possessed him enough to write this book or whatever, and then he just peaced out. And Basilius, like, woke up one day and was like, what the fuck is this? And then burned to death, not even knowing what he had done. I didn't do it! Hmm. Interesting thought. They put a lot of backstory. Like we said, we they put so much thought into the backstories of all of these characters in this movie, and you only get to see a piece of it. So yeah, so you, so you don't actually like if you, unless you do the research on this, you don't actually understand and like get the full backstory of every ghost and why it's that ghost specifically. I almost said specifically. <laughs> um. So speaking of the ghosts, let's get into the Black Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the black zodiac is meant to be the opposite of the normal zodiac so the normal zodiac as you know is the 
I'm going to say astronomical, astrological. There you go. There you go. It's astrology based. It's stars. It's the stars. Yeah. It's in the stars. Like the the heavens. At at night. And (laughs) so the black zodiac is supposed to be like the opposite. And it's the evil side. In this story, it conveniently represents 12 ghosts. And these 12 ghosts are intended to gain access to the Ocularis Infernum, like we said. And that is where we're going to kick off with the explanation of our 13 ghosts. Dun dun dun! Right. So, the first ghost. And the, they, have a, they have a cool thing in the features uh, about this, where like you can go in and you can click on each, like the, each ghost has its own little artifact. You click on it, and it tells you the backstory of, like, why Cyrus collected that ghost specifically um, to fit into these each of these um, zodiac, black zodiac signs. Which, just throwing this out there real fast, Cyrus must have been doing this for years. Because... A long time. He So the backstory is that the reclamation expert, the female that we talked about, whose name I can't remember, she came across Alyssa Milano's twin Alyssa Milano's twin there we go <laughs> uh she in her job came across the arc arcanum and gave it to him I guess um and he translated all the writings in there and then he had to go through and find all these hauntings like the stories of these hauntings and then pick which ones would fit these characters that were in the book which would be so hard because it's not like there's a newspaper that reports hauntings people like typically keep it on the hush hush because who believes in that you know so that would take a lot of work yeah it it does say that he spent pretty much his whole life on this though but i guess if you have like they do they do make much of that so i guess if you have the medium he can go to these sites where hauntings are happening and just touch something and, that's and be exactly like, "Why he has it?" Be like, "Oh yeah, okay, this one fits our stuff." Or, "Yeah, this guy's mm-hmm. not gonna work." Mm-hmm. And that's why he knows so like so much about all these ghosts when he sees them again. I and would, he's like, "Fuck." I'm interested to know if when he touches, like, if the medium ever touched the book and what he saw when he touched the book, because it would be tied to that demonic entity. Ooh, that would be interesting to see, like, what demon he saw, like, what demon might have done this. All right even better movie we just need a prequel that's just matthew lillard's part i'm cool with it you know yeah. i'm cool with it <laughs> hunting these ghosts a netflix um, miniseries okay. there you go all right so let's get into this the first ghost is known as the firstborn son this uh the uh the ghost that they get for the firstborn born son is billy michaels and he has an arrow through his head from what they say in the the special features, his na- he was super competitive as a kid, and so his neighbor had a bow and arrow, and he's like, "That's cool, let's shoot it." And um, you know, they shot it, and it went th- directly through his head, right through the temple, or not the temple, but the the forehead. So you know, that was a nice little arrow sticking out of his head. So each ghost has been associated with a sound that shows when they're arriving, so that. Like, when you're watching the characters, they start hearing things, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's the preemptive noise that a ghost is coming. 
Um, which is weird that you can hear them, but you can't see them. I feel like you should have some like special hearing aid to be able to hear them. <laughs> but unless they don't so, actually hear it, and we just like as the group get to hear it because it's creepy as fuck. Yeah, and they all yeah each of them get to say something. So for instance, like the firstborn son, he says, "I want to play," but it's like it's super elongated and whispery. So like you don't always fully understand what they're saying. Um, but his name is Billy Michaels, and I think this is reference to Billy the Kid due to the fact that it like in this movie like he the story is that he loves cowboys and like watching cowboy movies and stuff um so that's cool but the first board is equivalent to aries which uh shout out andy he's an aries <laughs> uh which is the first sign of the black and traditional zodiacs uh they tend to be reckless daredevils irresponsible youthful immaturity 100 percent andy and stubborn <laughs> and but um this kid doesn't actually attack any of them. The only violence that you get a feeling for is that the medium is so freaked out by him when he sees him. He's like, just back up. We're not here to play. Just back up. We're in enemy lines. And the kid just is like always kind of just standing there. And he looks like he's going to do something, but he doesn't. Yeah. I always thought that was super interesting, too, because I was like, I was never super scared of the kid. But you like you never understand why he seems so scary. But Matthew Lillard is terrified of him. Exactly, and he's so. he's often seen standing on walls or hanging from the ceiling. And he's one of the only ghosts that isn't that's like presented that way. Everybody else is typically just like upright, right? Which I, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like why the Latin inscription beneath the firstborn son symbol. Uh, in the Arcanum is Primus Filius, which translates to the translates to the first son. Um, but his uh, his ghost file is represented by obviously a toy gun because <laughs> he's a child. And the second ghost in the Arcanum is the torso, and that is supposed to be represented by the ghost Jimmy the Gambler Gambino. Which, with a name like Gambino, you don't need to call him the gambler. Just saying. But right. <laughs> he was actually played by an actor who is a double amputee. Mm-hmm. So, And this guy has played in other movies, too. Like horror or monster movies, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think I love that he uses that and just like is like a super creepy thing from a movie which is really cool well it's nice because the only part that they really had to cgi for him was his head uh yep (laughs) which they just amazes me that we can do that but anyways jimmy the gambler gambino has a backstory that he lost money to a mobster and i think it was he was betting on a fight and he lost and then when he went to pay them he couldn't pay his debt so they murdered him and then dumped his body into the ocean and i'm curious as to how and where they found his body um like was he haunting ships or was he haunting a specific artifact or he could have been um so what was his artifact because if his yeah his artifact was represented by poker cards so he could have easily been at one of the casinos or he's haunting technically where he was killed and then they dumped him into the ocean in which case it was at a casino but bam 
Got it. Uh, Structurally talking this out. <laughs> the sound that signals the arrival of the torso is like muffled screams, which makes sense because he doesn't have a head. Plus, he was like saran wrapped and dumped in the water. Yeah. The Latin inscription beneath his symbol in the arcanum is truncus, which obviously translates to trunk, which is another name for the human torso. Uh, just, you know, guiding you along this plotted storyline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the torso appears to be one of the weaker ghosts because he can't really do anything. Like, it makes me think. He can, like, grab you. <laughs> the, uh, oh, not the Count of Monte Cristo. What the heck is it called? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Tis but I'll a flesh your legs out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically. No legs. He just kind of, like, yeah. hobbles along. He can't really do anything. Um, which is nice, I guess, if you're going to have a body or a ghost. Might want one that if you're going to have a ghost, anything. I'd like to have that one where I could run away from it. <laughs> and being the second ghost, the torso would be related to the zodiac sign Taurus. Taurus, however you want to pronounce it. Like Jimmy, uh, they tend to highly value possessions and are very stubborn. I feel like stubborn is everybody's Everybody. zodiac. Yeah. Just saying. Mm-hmm. They're also often considered to be lazy, which could relate to how the torso never harms anyone. But again, there you go. I think it's less laziness for why he doesn't harm anyone so much as just the way that he's built. The laziness would come into the fact that Jimmy tried to gamble to make money and be skeevy Lost. instead of just mm-hmm. like work for it. But that's just my opinion. Oh, and I pulled some of these notes from the 13 Ghosts fandom page. The wiki fandom page? Yes. And then the, which we collaborated through the movie uh, special scenes. So Yeah, the special features and stuff. Um, I don't know why it popped into my head, but didn't you used to have a Toyota Taurus? I did. That was my first car. The third ghost is known as the Bound Woman. Um, she is uh, based on a... The the ghost is based on the woman of Susan Legros, who is uh, dressed in a, palm, in a prom dress. She's a teen. Um, and the way that they describe her in the special features is she is... Um, the, first, the first thing that came to my head was Veronica... Veronica from Willy Wonka, the super spoiled brat. Veruca? Uh, Veruca. Yeah, there we go. Um, so supposedly she's she was just like a super spoiled brat who would just date around and then dump guys to break their hearts. And so in her senior year, she was dating the captain of the school football team, Chet Walters. And on prom night, Chet caught Susan with another guy. And he ended up clubbing the boy to death before tying Susan up and strangling her with his tie um, and and breaking her neck. Uh, so the body of the boy was found and then she was missing for a while. Um, and he buried her body under a the 50-yard line at the school football field and it was discovered two weeks later. Which... So I'm sure, I'm sure there were football games played on top of her. Well, the storyline is weird for that because prom takes place during the school year they would still probably be using that football field for some sort of events 
and a freshly dug grave is very obvious. So that was a little <laughs> weird to me. That's fair. But that's just that's me fair. overanalyzing these backstories. Right. Um, so the Lat the Latin inscription beneath her uh, symbol in the Arcanum is the uh, Sorora Soror Diara Di Soror Dira. Is that it? Dira Dira. I don't speak Latin. I don't know. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> but it translates to the Dire Sister. And uh, interestingly, a lot like the Jack the Jackal, which we'll get into, the whispers um, which signal the bound woman. Uh, appear to be insane screams and rapid high-pitched laughter so like cheerleaders and stuff so she was like Maybe. a head cheerleader so that's where yeah i got that from um yeah and her artifact in the house is a tiara by the way and one of the things that i was thinking just real quick so you mentioned the artifacts because mm -hmm. when they walk into the house he like starts picking stuff up arthur and he's like oh look at these cool things on the shelves do you think these artifacts are supposed to be in the shelves I want to like rewatch it. I wouldn't be surprised and see if they are. That would be kind of cool to think about, yeah. Because like uh, the angry princess though isn't her her one isn't the bathtub, which would be really cool. Um, but who knows? Well, if you've seen, but yeah, it, we'll get back. It, we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, next is the withered lover, which is Jean, the wife of the family that moves into the house. Uh, we Arthur's didn't. Wife. Yeah, we didn't mention that, but uh, he finds that out after he moved in, and of course they're being haunted. They're like, "Oh, by the way, your wife is one of these tortured ghosts," and he's like, "What?" He the? doesn't. He he doesn't find that out until Alyssa Milano's twin all of a sudden randomly appears halfway through the movie. Yeah, it, I was like, "What an unfortunate thing!" And so what happened was when she died in the hospital of her burns. Uh, I guess she just couldn't move on because she was she had just been torn from her family, and uh, she gets scooped up from the hospital six months after she dies. So Cyrus has mm -hmm. been like creeping on this family. <laughs> just saying, he had like this whole thing planned out for a long time. Um, the yeah. she's one of the only ones who's not angry and vengeful. Uh, all the other ones are like very violent except for the torso yeah. but that's like i said i don't think that's by choice <laughs> but yeah that one's he, he not he can't do too much <laughs> the uh, latin inscription beneath the wizard wizard the withered lover's symbol <laughs> is amateur marquitas which translates to the languid lover the withered lover is the equivalent to cancer, which is the fourth house in the black and traditional zodiacs. They tend to be motherly, emotional, intuitive, caring, and sensitive. Makes sense why it was the mother. Exactly. Her ghost file is represented by a damaged photo of herself, which isn't in the house. So I guess that, no. that uh, unless they moved it in with her, but that's not there when Cyrus takes her. So that gets rid of that theory we just had Damn. and cyrus had expressed in her ghost her like ghost file i guess that she was his easiest choice all the other ones he had to be like nah, nitpick is this one gonna fulfill it but as soon as gene died he was like that one don't ask me any other questions 
Because he's been watching that family and being creepy on his family. Well, and he needs that, like, lover suicide aspect, so. Yep. So, then we get, uh, the fifth, the fifth ghost is the Torn Prince. I think this guy's awesome. I think he's really cool, personally. Um, the ghost is Royce Clayton, who is a high school baseball player with a massive head injury. Um... Because he gets in a car accident after trying to drag race and loses control of his car and it rolls down. Only because his brake lines got cut. Yep. Um, so the actor, his grandfather was uh, in the Polish army, uh, in the Polish army during World War II, and became a POW in the concentration camp for five years. I just so, thought that uh, was a fun little fact. Uh, that yeah, was about the actor cool. who plays. The, the torn prints. Um, in this containment cube, the overturned car which killed Royce can be seen behind him, which is really interesting. Um, and obviously it's completely demolished. <laughs> yeah, one of the unique things that this movie does is not only do they show the ghosts, uh, but things that are highly associated with the ghosts appear like they take them with him. So the car or that- like why they died. The car that he died in uh, is, like, constantly with him. And we'll talk about some of the other ones where their surroundings where they died follow them in their ghost life. And I think that's a really cool idea because it plays off that ghost theory where ghosts are, like, just basically tormented and forced to relive their like final death or moments over and over and over their again final days. especially yeah. if it was violent and quick or something like that so. oh yeah <laughs> the noises associated with Royce's presence are violent and angry wails so pretty much him rolling down the hill in a car <laughs> maybe but his lat- his latin inscription beneath the torn prince torn his symbol in the arcanum is uh equis sisasis <laughs> that's a lot of s's <laughs> I think it. I want to say Sisis. Sisis. It's okay. I'm gonna spell it for everybody so you know. It's S C I S S U S. So if you know that pronunciation, please let me know. Um, but it translate to translates to rent night, and rent is another uh, word for torn. Um. So. Uh. And then his ghost file is represented by a baseball trophy because he was a baseball player who was cocky and an asshole. Well, he was actually like on track to be a huge baseball a really, was, star. Yeah, and wasn't he? Didn't he have like scholarships or something? Yeah, something like that. And then yeah. he died, and now that they get taken away from him, it's also his weapon. He haunted the places of his death or something by just beating people up with his bat, his ghost bat. Yeah, yeah. And next is like I talked about my favorite scene, uh, the angry princess who is the spirit of Dana New- Donna sorry Donna Newman um when i first saw her i based off that bathroom scene i thought she had been murdered because it shows it slits everywhere well that but there's blood all over the place in the room and it says i'm sorry like spelled on the ground so i thought she had been murdered and Somebody was like, I'm sorry I murdered her in a fit of rage or jealousy or whatever. But I guess that's not right. at all what happened, according to the writers. Uh, Dan and Don- God damn it. Donna 
you need to respell your name, Donna. This isn't working. (laughs) (laughs) Put an O in there, damn it. Yeah. Donna Newman was incredibly beautiful in life. And Cyrus described her as having the natural looks of a goddess. But was unable to recognize her own beauty. She, like, hated the way she looked. Like most teenage girls. Yeah. Never. She had a lot of really bad, like, self-esteem and body dysmorphia. She saw a lot of doctors and... Uh, nobody could like convince her otherwise and it didn't help that she picked awful and abusive boyfriends she did a lot of plastic surgery which they show like through the body of the ghost and Mm -hmm. the story is that one night while donna was alone in a clinic where she worked she tried to perform surgery on herself due to an imaginary imperfection on her face and it went horribly awry and left her blinded in one eye and then she went home and just like gave up on life entirely and committed suicide in her bathtub by slashing herself with a butcher's knife until she bled to death. I don't think butcher's mm-hmm. knives make those kind of like surgical incisions personally, but no. Neither and, and I don't, well, and that's the one thing that doesn't fit in because uh, if she slit herself with a butcher knife, her, uh, her artifact, I feel should be a butcher knife, not specifically a barber's razor. Yeah, it's and then a straight like a straight razor and specifically. Then her character's not even care it's carrying like just a regular kitchen knife. So Yeah. It's a lot of inconsistencies. So those are misleading things about her character. But what if, she's still a it's really cool. One of the things that you find out is that the ideas that they had for some of these ghosts when they were originally creating them changed as they went. And so that's where those like inconsistencies come in because they didn't change those in the actual movie. They just changed them in their heads and shared the mm-hmm. part. So that's where some of those come in too. Um, and like I said, in the original script, she was called the suicide and was a more like she had sad, sl- very obvious like slit wrists and makeup running down her face and things like that. I don't really yeah, so know why they changed that. I assume it just wasn't gory enough for them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if they're uh, and like they've been clearly trying to add gore and like the the haunting scare factor to that. So I would assume that you know, like for me, the slit over the nipple that's fucking horrifying in my eyes. Like and that is so scary. <laughs> those kind of incisions to me are more murdery than suicide. Like that's not a natural way to kill yourself. So. Like I said, I feel like... Unless you absolutely hate your body. But that's still a lot of effort to continue slitting that deep in that many directions and that many times on your own body. It's it's inconsistent. Yeah, it's weird. Um, What I never noticed was if she had any on her back. That is a good question. But that's neither. That I don't know the answer to. You don't really ever see too much of her back, though. And that's, that's the thing. Um... But according to the, like, people have watched her scenes with subtitles, and the whispers that signal her arrival are her whispering, I'm sorry, and, mm. which is what, like I said, gets spelled out on the floor. Yep. Um, and in the bathtub, she is laying in the mm. bathtub, the surrounded by bloody water, and she's just watching this girl reach into the bathtub and, like, run water and wash her face and i guess the subtitles show the ghost saying what is she doing because for the ghost she's washing her face in like this bloody water or something i guess 
Mm-hmm. Which is, I think that's really cool. I always thought that scene, again, that's probably the best scene in this entire movie. And so. Well, then yeah. it shows that this ghost isn't naturally aggressive. The only time she, she doesn't actually like attack anyone, I think. Um, she approaches the lawyer because he makes a comment about her tits and then yeah. he dies, but she doesn't actually do anything. She looks like she's nope. about to, but she doesn't. Um, she's she's like Michael Myers. She's a slow walker towards you, but then she doesn't really do much. Well, and she just chilled while this lady was in the bathroom with her. Sat she, there with bloody yeah. water. So, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, her Latin inscription is Sibi Mortem Conchiser, and that roughly translates to she committed she commits suicide in English. Mm. original (laughs) katie mentioned that the makeup and stuff took a long time the actress for this shauna lawyer kind of bragged that hers took the longest because they had to do all the individual bits and pieces for that Um, i think it was like six hours like four to six hours depending on the day it yeah it was it it um it got quicker as they got better at doing it obviously but it started out being like a six hour long makeup and just like a real life note on the actress she i guess everyone was like wow she's a porn star like they kept thinking that she was in different porn movies um and this ends up being her only movie role <laughs> oh man that's unfortunate but yeah I guess if you're going to have a role, make it that one. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so, the seventh ghost is the pilgrimist. Pilgrimess, I'm sorry. It is the pilgrimess. <laughs> uh, the ghost is Isabella Smith. She's a woman in a period clothing with a wooden shackle around her head. So, during during the colonial time, circa six, uh, the 1600s seven, through 1790, she was accused of witchcraft uh, when local livestock began to die. And to add insult to injury, the preacher that accused her of um, the preacher that accused her originally is the first that dies in a, from a mysterious illness. So they were like, oh, yeah, she's the one. She's the witch. Yeah, they tried to burn her, but she was able to get out of the barn. Um, Which doesn't help just... her case at all. No, not at all. Like they were like, oh, you can't burn. Therefore, you are a witch. Which would be terrifying for them back in the day. <laughs> uh, so they ended up leaving. They grabbed her basically and captured her, and they left her to die slowly in the stockade, which is that contraption around your uh, your head and your hands. Um, her containment cube is covered in cob in like thick cobwebs and dead leaves. So that's kind of like a little throwback to like the being able to see her background and part of like her setting that comes with her as a ghost. And if you uh, if you pay really close attention, you'll notice that the pilgrimess approach her approach appears to be the sound of distant wailing. You always hear her. <laughs> She's also noted to be the only ghost not to have a Latin inscription beneath her symbol. Yeah, that and that's really interesting. Is especially if you want like a witch, then. In the afterlife, you would think they'd be pretty powerful still, maybe? I don't know. That's a good point. Um, Maybe writing it gives the ghost more power if she was actually 
witch. I, this one, she wasn't a witch, but um. Yeah, no, but I think that's an interesting idea. That is. Kind of. Or they just got lazy her- and couldn't find the Latin word for witch. <laughs> that too. Um, but her ghost file is represented by a damaged holy Bible. Which Here's is your favorite one, Izzy. <laughs> which is unfortunate because that again is just playing into like the religious ideals of a witch. But yep, whatever. Uh, ugh, the great child. Your, your favorite one <laughs> um, is. He is gross. I'll say that. It is gross. Like, it, Harold, it's gross. Harold Shelburne. And I call him the adult baby. Um, he appeared to have died from eating too much or he, like, choked on his own vomit. Uh, the real actor was on Scooby-Doo 2 with Matthew Lillard. He played the minor character. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's hilarious. You so see his butt crack. Yeah, I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool. Um, but <laughs> in the, the ghost, the spirit, mm-hmm. he had a tragic backstory, which is so Oh, yeah, sad. it's horrible. It's really sad. Um, so he was born from a sexual assault to a lady in the circus who is the next ghost, so I'm not going to give her story away too much. Um, but she was raped by a, another circus man called the Tall Man. And so he gets raised in that circus life and he became an adult baby. And the storyline is that the mother just couldn't stop like spoiling him. So she just kept like shoving food and he had some mental disabilities. So he couldn't really take care of himself or communicate very well, I guess. And one day some circus workers kidnapped his mother as a joke and then she died in the bag that they kept her in have you seen oh well you have but if you've seen the circus season freak show yes freak show american horror story freak show yeah just think of that setting it's kind of sad except these circus folks were not friends they sound like they were awful to each other yeah they this was this is not a family situation this was a them against their co-workers basically yeah they made fun of them so bad um But the adult baby goes ham trying to find his mom, finds her dead, and then just murders everybody he can find in the circus. Um, Takes an axe and kills them all. And the circus owner, Jimbo, like, of course, his name is Jimbo. Can't, what what are you going to do with a name like that? Um, Right. He pulled together a mob from the circus folk and killed the adult baby. In the original storyline, they had come up for him. Harold, the adult baby, died because his mother, like what I assumed, yeah, overfed him and he choked on his own vomit, which is why his baby is pictured with like that grotesque green vomit all over himself. So that's an instance where they changed the storyline, but they didn't adapt the baby to it because they felt like that storyline just wasn't gory enough. It was too weak. Yeah, it's exactly. too weak in their eyes. Um, it's unknown why the great child as a ghost appears perfectly normal. Like he's not mutated or rotting. Yeah. Um, as you would see with the when we just the pilgrimist, she's like completely mm-hmm. rotted. So they don't really explain that kind of stuff. And naturally this sounds associated with the great child are like baby crying and whimpering and the latin inscription beneath his 
is murs, which is the Latin word for mice, which makes me think they were thinking of mice and men because one of the characters was very much mm-hmm. like him. And his ghost file was represented by a baby rattle. Of course. Um, so following the, so the ninth ghost is the dire mother who is um, based off of Margaret Shelbourne. And of course she is the tiny little lady you see feeding the adult baby. Um, so as we didn't say earlier, she was sexually assaulted by the tall man. She is three feet tall and consistently bullied by everybody from the circus when she first joins. So you get the tall man raping the three foot tall mo- woman that's just unfortunate and which i'm terrifying. sure he bragged about if it really happened. oh i'm sure but i'm also obvious obviously it leads to the idea of the great child being massive for her um and so originally margaret died when harold choked on his vomit and fell and suffocated her <laughs> he fell on top of her and suffocated her um but of course you know as the producers like to change the story because they felt it was too weak they just didn't like that backstory so they changed it although i will say this karma's a bitch when it comes to that situation i personally prefer that story than she got kidnapped and died in a bag i would agree because this is more ironic but it also keeps her and her child together and it makes their story more in sync but also incredibly much of karma's a bitch because you keep force feeding your son until he's giant and now he fell on top of you when he died and now you're dead. <laughs> I agree that it puts them in death far more together than just he was very protective of her. Uh, yeah, and that's why they're always seen together. And like in the movie. The next ghost is the hammer, which Katie's... Wait, 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 one sec, one sec. Oh, one I'm sec. sorry. Um, her ghost file is represented by a small little shoe, a tiny little shoe like the monopoly uh so the next ghost is the hammer which katie said was like visually your least favorite right yeah and it's just because i know the prosthetics that were like used and how they created them and in my eyes with how they filmed it the prosthetics of the nails in the skin just look a little too fake for me because i've been in the haunted house industry and i've seen those kind of prosthetics being used and i've done so much watching of fx makeup it was just my least satisfying to look at i didn't like him visually because the backstory to me didn't make sense to have a man wrapped up in chains with a shit ton of like railroad spikes in him i like it just to me well it's because he was a blacksmith i couldn't fit it around what they were trying to do um but anyways, the spirit is of George Markley, and he is supposed to have been an honest, hardworking blacksmith until a man named Nathan, who was probably white, wrongfully accused George of theft and threatened to banish him from the town they lived in. Uh, George knew that he himself was innocent and refused to do what he wanted. So Nathan sent a gang to beat George's wife and children to death. Which, why would you do that? Anyways. Because they could back in the day and they were racist assholes. Of course, George had nothing to lose after that. So he just, uh, to repeat myself, went ham on everyone with a sledgehammer. (laughs) And 
the town decided to drag him to the back of his shop. They tied him to a tree, I'm assuming with chains, because that is what he is represented with. And then drove a bunch of railroad spikes into his body with his own sledgehammer, slowly killing him, which a well-placed one wouldn't have slowly killed him. Um, And then as a finishing touch, they cut off George's hand and shoved the sledgehammer to fill that spot, which again to me is them over explaining a plot to make it fit what they wanted you didn't need, make sense you didn't need these people to murder him and then randomly shove a sledgehammer into his hand uh, i would have just accepted that in his afterlife that was his weapon of choice like i would have just accepted that um, well so in in the special features when you know you look at the backstory and like you they they use Cyrus's voice to read you the backstory of it. Um, they do that because it was his choice of weapon, and they wanted to hin- like hinder him from taking his hand, but s- for some reason wanted to give him his weapon. I'm not exactly sure, and I don't exactly remember the way that they phrased it, but it was kind of really dumb. But again, to me, that's just them trying to over-explain their choices. Agreed. Um, yeah, it was an unnecessary detail. But the whispers that signal the hammer's approach are deep growling. The Latin inscription for him is Malleus Ignis, which translates to fire hammer. Convenient. And his ghost file is obviously railroad spikes. He's the only African-American ghost in the Zodiac. And according to Howard Berger, who we'll get into more detail later, but he was the supervisor of all the effects, uh, the Mm -hmm. special makeup effect artist which i just said uh his makeup originally took approximately four hours to apply but he was one of the ones where like katie said the more they did it they were able to cut it down so it only took two hours which is maybe why you noticed some like weird inconsistencies with the spikes because they were like at that point just like get it done (laughs) yeah i think also because i know that some like the, the latex foam that they use it shakes and so, like, some of them, like, you can notice some of them shake a little. And that's just that's just me being super picky with what I have seen and dealt with and played with and, you know, had on my own personal body at times. See, I'm nitpicky about stories and inconsistencies, but you're nitpicky about visually, like, aspects. Yeah. Together, we yeah. make a great <laughs> team at tearing down movies. <laughs> yeah, we're solid at this. Um. But now we've come to the 11th ghost, which is, uh, as I've said, probably my favorite ghost. I think this ghost is very interesting, but it's the Jekyll, as they call him. Jekyll. And it's, yeah, the Jekyll, I'm sorry. I think of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for some reason, and it just turns into Jekyll and not not Jackal. Um, But the ghost is based off of Ryan Kahn, but he was a mental patient in, uh, he was was a mental patient that you see with that, is in a stray jacket, and he has a a, a, a metal cage around his head um, because he was very violent. So he was. Uh, his story is that he was born to uh, to a prostitute at some point in the year of 1887, and Ryan grew up to be a to murder prostitutes. He basically was like kind of like Jack the Ripper and went seeking treatment, and uh, he committed himself to Borenwood Asylum, where he eventually went completely insane. And. Uh, you know, because back then, insane asylums were just doing experiments on people. 
he ended up he would scratch at the ceilings or at the cell's walls and like so violently that he had no fingernails they were just completely ripped off and torn off and it would basically make his hands super claw-like because he just kept scratching through the like his skin which is really gross and i can't imagine how bad that would hurt because i ripped off one of my real fingernails before and that was not fun <laughs> gross um, yeah it was a it was a terrible moment um so when ryan attacked a nurse the doctors put him in a straitjacket and tightened it whenever ryan would act out and obviously like he would act out all the time he would contort his limbs horribly and so he was like mangling himself and then however ryan would gnaw through the straitjacket and so the doctors had to end up caging his head basically and so it looks almost like it looks almost like the size of like a rabbit cage in my head but it's like thick iron bars and it just completely encapsules his head and um he was basically left in a cell to rot in solitary because they just couldn't handle or deal with him because he was too violent and he ended up dying in a fire at the asylum uh when uh a fire happened to happen <laughs> so the i don't know if this is in the commentary one that you read or that you listened to on the movie mm-hmm. but i had read that he had chosen to stay in the fire like while they were pulling all the patients out he ran into the fire and like basically committed suicide that way so that one that's not in the movie the the special features they say that he was basically forgotten down in this cell because like they left him like down in the basement is is what they kind that, of made it sound like and they just left him that to, to me die. makes much more sense than him like choosing just, to do that suicide um yeah i also read a theory that that is kind of supposed to be the same asylum from the house on haunted hill remake opening uh Oh, so like when all the when all the uh, the the patients get out and they attack the doctor and kill him and then set the place on fire. Yeah, and that he, like you said, may have just been forgotten in the basement. Left. Well, yeah, because because like the way that they they say it in the in the special features is once they caged his head, he would still try and like get like he would somehow still try and move, maneuver and like hit his head on the bars and like try and break out somehow. And they just couldn't deal with him to the point where they just left him in his cell in solitary and just literally left him to deal with himself alone. I'm sure that happened quite often. Um, but according to Kalina, the jackal is the sign of hell's winter. And in Christianity, this is a place or state of internal, eternal punishment of the wicked after death um, with Satan as its ruler and the realm of where tortured souls live. So, you know, he's just, like, the worst of the worst. <laughs> and in the original script, he was called the hyena. I love hyenas, personally. Um, I want a baby hyena because they're cute as shit, and I love the little hyena laugh. That's always been, like, a thing that people think is, is like, super weird about me, but I love hyenas. I think they're really cool. Um, but, anyways, the uh, the Latin inscription beneath the jackal symbol of the Arcanum is Canis Aris. Are Arius or is Aris? I think. Um, any, anyway, literally translate to the golden dog, which he was not a golden retriever. I'm going to tell you that right now. But 
Um, similar to the bound woman, the whispers with the jack uh, that signal the jackal's approach appear to be kind of psychotic screaming or insane laughter. So you know, asylum style shit that you would constantly hear. Which to me is where the hyena sounds like calling him the hyena it, comes in. But that would make sense, especially with like the insane laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on the damage done to the cage helmet, it's implied that the jackal either managed to break out of the helmet or this damage was done during the fire that killed him because it looks like it was like in the front facial area, it looks like it was burst out. And so whether he like tore at like the bars and like pulled them out because they were all like bent away from the face, so you could obviously see the facial clearly because you know, movies. Um, <laughs> But that's kind of what that was based on. And he is the only one that I see them really, uh, like, escape in a way because they throw flares at him. So I guess he's yeah. he's afraid of fire, obviously, which feeds more into your idea that he didn't choose he, to die in that fire. He was, he was just there. left. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. If one were to listen super carefully, it sounds like the Jekyll says, leave me alone, almost, when Bobby is hearing voices uh, of his mother. So it's like he just doesn't want to deal with a child, maybe. I don't know if he has, like, a special affinity or, like, maybe because he, like, had such a rough childhood, he cares about childhood. Or if the mother was, like, keeping the Jekyll back somehow that would make more sense that could that could okay i could see that and because she's got like a burned face he was like i don't want anything to do with you so yeah well and according to dennis the medium um matthew lillard you math you you beautiful man um (laughs) the the jackal is basically the charles manson of ghosts as he said um which i didn't get that reference did you so basically he's saying he's he's fucking terrible because you know charles and and the the worst thing is i don't know why you would say charles manson i would probably end up you know saying richard ramirez more closely that's my Um, because charles manson didn't richard kill anyone personally correct charles manson's hands were i mean they weren't clean but they were clean in certain aspects of murdering people while like richard ramirez killed multiple fucking people raped people molested children to but, me, like, uh, like I, we talked about earlier, Jack, he fits Jack the Ripper perfectly. Yeah. Um, or you could say, yeah, he's more towards that, that kind of idea. And but. he was born right after, I think, Jack the Ripper's murder spree or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Charles Manson thing didn't land for me. No, I would agree. I would agree 100%. I wouldn't have done, I, at least in the script, I wouldn't have said Charles Manson. I would have definitely chosen Jack the Ripper. He killed women. He he specifically, Ryan, this guy, specifically killed prostitutes, women. And, and so horrendous ways. So Yeah, in terrible ways. Like, it, it was, yeah. And so, like, it would be, you would be better to describe him as Jack the Ripper or, you know, Richard Ramirez in a way because he was a horrifying man who did gruesome murders but i know way too much about serial killers (laughs) my thing with doing the richard ramirez is so jack the ripper had a finite number of murders so in a way not that they know who jack the ripper is which uh clue to what our next full episodes are going to be jack the ripper 
but he had a finite set of murders so he either died turned himself in got control of okay, himself that w- somehow that would make sense be- like he turned himself into the asylum yeah so so not that i think that's what happened to jack the Ripper, but that's where this guy right. fits whereas richard ramirez was just like he fucking just happened awful. to be caught <laughs> yeah he was fucking terrifying i yeah i if you watch the night stalker on netflix it's a wonderful documentary that i found incredibly intriguing because i find true crime incredibly intriguing and andy thinks it's terrifying so yeah more like jack the ripper not so much like charles manson even though he even though like charles manson is i think okay i see the way i see one way that they describe they describe the jackal like charles manson and that's because charles manson is fucking insane like that man was fucking nuts like out of his head insane but his childhood i digress was awful (laughs) yeah his insaneness was earned definitely not not saying everyone with an awful childhood grows up to become that but his was particularly just horrific so back to the jackal though <laughs> his ghost file is represented by the jaw the jawline like the jawbone of a human skull which Mandible. i i i yeah well i i think it's human that's what the mandible bone is oh <laughs> I thought you said an animal. Sorry. No, that. sorry. That was just me mishearing things. I <laughs> interrupted like, you. That's why. That's okay. Um, I didn't know that. That um, I, You know body parts. I don't know body parts. <laughs> and the final ghost that you get insight into is the Juggernaut, which I guess was named Breaker Mahoney. Yeah, this is the, this is the ghost you see at the very beginning of the movie get captured. And... The, just, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, Adam's family, he played Lurch. He really did. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, he did. (laughs) The actor played for the new Adam's Family TV series. And he was also the bald man in A Series of Unfortunate Events for Netflix. But Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So the Juggernaut's spirit is based off of the real, the movie... The spirit's name is Horace. <laughs> he was abandoned by his mother. Everyone has tragic childhoods. Um, almost immediately after... To, apparently, you have to have child, tragic child, childhoods to stay on this earth after death. <laughs> I guess. Unless you're Gene. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But he was raised by his father, who was abusive and awful. And he put him to work in his junkyard, which is the opening scene where we found him, chopping and crushing up old cars. And But when Mr. Mahoney died, Horace was left alone and with no one to, like, give him good vibes, I guess. He resulted to just being insane. And he became a serial killer. He would pick up hitchhikers and stranded motorists to take back to his junkyard, where he would then rip them apart with his bare hands and feed their remains to his dogs. Yeah, again, this guy's massive. Uh, This is where he got the nickname The Breaker. His last attempt to murder somebody turned out to be an undercover police officer. And SWAT appeared on the the scene as soon as he tried to kill him. Horace broke free of his handcuffs because he's just a Goliath. And they ended up gunning him down. 
And like we said, he was associated, I think they mentioned like nine serial killer or uh, murders, but mm-hmm. the medium is like, there's like 40 dead people here. Oh, God. Uh, and the Latin inscription beneath his symbol is Stantibus Celsior, which reads Titan, which refers to his size and strength. He, he did kill three police officers in that 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 buckling with the officers though so yeah he there's more addition there (laughs) he's crazy uh the whispers around him are the roaring wind which i doesn't make sense to me he kind of looks like Shax, who kills prue but with like yes short hair yeah and Uh, taller he is the one who kills the medium matthew lillard dennis yeah dennis Mm -hmm. And his file is remedied by shotgun shells, which brought him down in the end. Yeah, and and the reason, this is the thing, is the reason he goes after Dennis, I think, in some ways, is not only was Dennis just, like, out and trying to distract the Juggernaut, but also he, the Juggernaut, remembered the medium from when he captured him, because there is an instance where... The medium and, and juggernaut are face to face right as he captures them right after he captures the juggernaut so i think there's some aspect of like hey i remember you fuck you i'm and gonna crush you to death <laughs> as we i, I kind of left this out of the plot but you find out that the ghosts are definitely there against their will and really their whole goal is just to get out so once they have the opportunity to kill cyrus they turn all their attention on him. They kill him. They wander off. Like yeah. they didn't care about anybody else. So the idea that he specifically went after the medium makes sense to me because he was like, mm-hmm. "Fuck you! You're the reason I'm here." Yeah. Which may also explain why the other ones aren't as violent towards the family, because they don't care about them. They're like, "You're not the reason I'm here. You just happen to be here." Yeah. But in some way, shape, or form. The key special makeup effects supervisor, like we mentioned, is Howard Berger. Berger, whatever. He's huge. I looked at the stuff that he's been associated with, all the good mm-hmm. things. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. He's, he's done so much. He's currently working on that new Space Jam movie, which the rabbit just cut, or not just cut the rabbit, but the rabbit, like made headlines i guess because they made her more well and they took out pepe Le Pew completely normal. um but he's being associated with that currently so that's cool hmm. he did win an oscar for best achievement in makeup for his work on chronicles of narnia the lion witch in the wardrobe he got a primetime any or i'm sorry he is a primetime emmy winner for his work on the walking dead he was nominated for breaking bad He's done The Hills Have Eyes, Grindhouse, Book of Eli, Drag Me to Hell, Splice, Kill Bill, Scream, etc., etc., etc. Basically, damn. everything but Buffy. <laughs> He's awesome. Uh, no wonder I like him so much with his effects. He did Scream. I live my life for Scream. <laughs> there is a great like clip. I don't know if this is included on the DVD, but I found it on YouTube where he discusses exactly the process of how they created all these characters and it started out with of course the writers 
came up with these backstories. They took it to a comic artist who drew them mm-hmm. up, which I think are the sketches that get included in the Arcanum book that you see. Yes, I, be- I believe so. Um, then they took that and presented it to Howard Berger. Berger. He was given a lot of creative license after that. I think he could like tweak things uh, based off those sketches. Uh, so he made these clay sculptures of the head so they I'm could get... sure I'm sure he would have to with clay sculpture making just because certain things are not going to work like they would just drawing them out. Yeah, it, the I would be interested to know exactly like how much creative freedom he was given <laughs> cuz they went in mm-hmm. with very specific like we said they spelled out literally everything. But yeah. he did those clay sculptures of the heads so that they could get a feel 3D wise what the characters were going to look like. And then they went in and did all the rubber prosthetics and all that stuff. So they would do these full dress rehearsals, present it to the director. They would film them all around, see how it looked on camera, make adjustments, come back. Like being an actor on this movie would be awful. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I will say this one thing they did say because they did have that part in the special effect or special features of the, at the um, at the side of the movie. Um, but they uh, they said the biggest thing was that they didn't want to do a lot of CGI with the ghost. They didn't want to just have like the filter of like the ghost being like, ooh, they wanted actual characters, actual actors. And that's why they did so much of this effects and were so willing to put in the time and the effort on these um, makeup effects and things like that. Which I think is wonderful. Like you said, the Juggernaut um, was in a complete rubber bodysuit. You get to watch him take it off in the special features, and it's horrible. And I I know the feeling of this kind of deal, but like it's bad. So, in that shot that she's talking about, they show that they started at four a.m. It took them, I think, three or four hours to do him, because his neck and his head are separate prosthetics than the bodysuit. Yeah, And then once they're done filming, they have to go through and like take off each little piece and get him out of the bodysuit. And so he started his day at 4 a.m. And in that time lapse, he doesn't leave until like 1130 at night. And then he has to come back the next day and do it all over again. Yep. So that's a long time and a lot of dedication, not only for him, but like his whole prosthetic team would be crazy. Oh, yeah. And I- uh but there, I I thought this was so weird and so gross because I've used I've used contacts in the haunted house industry. You get colored contacts, you get the theater contacts, and they're thicker, they're weird, and you have to put them in. And if you don't like touching your eyes or doing contacts things, it's weird. Well, there is a job title of a contact lens technician, and that is his entire job is to put contact lenses in people's eyes, and that's what he had to do with like the pilgrimess because she has white contacts. Going back to what I had talked about Matthew Lillard at the beginning and like his artistic vision for movies Mm -hmm. and then combining that with what we've been talking about with all the attention being on the ghosts and their character builds and the effects that they did for them. This is kind of a long quote, but I it just embodies like how I feel about this movie as well. Um, But he says, all I remember about 13 Ghosts is that it was really hot and filled with people that were doused in blood because there's nothing that c- c- conducts 
he like glass he doesn't stutter of course that's just me and movie lights it's a terrible combination it was glass movie lights the smell of burning latex because all the rubber on the people all the ghosts were covered in latex and the whole thing just stunk to high hell also i'll never forget f murray abrams who played uncle cyrus at four o'clock in the morning in a junkyard which is the opening scene in the middle of winter in vancouver British Columbia standing on top of 16 stacked cars with a fan blowing directly in his face screaming down this movie isn't about special effects it's about acting I was like I think you're wrong bro so he too felt like there was a lot of attention put on that yeah and then it was he talked about like the downside to these elaborate backstories they built and that they chose to include although it's really fun for us they couldn't change these costumes to match their altered backstories which is kind of a downside but you kind of don't care right like it's cool either way they still look creepy and gross and so therefore it still comes off as ew ghost (laughs) so Uh, i just wanted to add this in uh the rest of the research stuff that i did for this film we're gonna throw into the next one Um, but i wanted to talk about the true like the black zodiac it is actually a real concept it's supposed to represent the evil side of the human creature the idea is that people should accept the good with the bad parts of themselves and that they should coincide and live harmoniously basically but each of the black zodiac embodies the morbid traits that are as unique as each person so like we were talking about you know aries is associated with being blah 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 if you, child. Yeah. If, if you follow astrology, you know what your stuff is. Um, so they have that version for the black zodiac too. And we're going to post the link for this particular version of the black zodiac that I found. And if you read it and you want to comment on which ones you are, tell us. I am a Sagittarius, so my version is the Tempest. Um, so I'm an Aquarius. Well, that's really interesting because I really didn't know much about the Black Zodiac until like this movie and doing deep dives like this. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that this was just part of the regular Zodiac, like having those negative traits as well. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's its own thing. So Yeah. And yeah, that concludes our super long episode. <laughs> if you stuck it out, good on you. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. We appreciate it. Hopefully we made you laugh at some point or understand this movie better. (laughs) And episode, the second part of this, we're going to talk about the original 1960 version Mm -hmm. and how they kind of fit together and how they don't mesh so well and why I like the 1960 version better, if you didn't get that already. So until then, you can find us on social media, Instagram at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats or facebook for the same thing at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats or you can send Mm -hmm. us an email at horror cats witch hats it's all one word at gmail.com we are still taking requests for movies we'd love to hear your review of this movie do you agree with me or do you agree with katie yeah now i'm curious about that one (laughs) And that's all I have for you today. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. We we appreciate you. (laughs) We appreciate you. (laughs) It's been a long day. And with that,
There were no cats in this movie. Not even like a background. No. God damn. There should have been a cat in um the Pilgrimess's uh, background live. Uh, that Just like that wandering movie. in between her feet, like arched back, rubbing on her. That would have been great. Boom. Otherwise, I guess it makes sense because cats and ghosts don't really get along very well. Yeah, that's that's true. That's fair. 